You're listening to the Electronic Media Collective Podcast Network. Yeah, it's a mouthful. For more great shows like the one you're about to enjoy, visit electronicmediacollective.com. And now, our feature presentation. My time is yours. I was the last man standing. I am the man, and the man feels no pressure. You are facing a fuel-injected suicide machine. Fear from the man that rules the world. Welcome to the Vicious Circle. Sid, we've been doing a lot of talk about COVID and, you know, the state of the union and and media. What if we do some fun topic today on wrestling? I was thinking the very same thing, Rob. Let's let's do a little wrestling stuff for the fans and and then um, we can always, if we have a few minutes left over, we can talk about the COVID-19 and then that one virus out there at Gloucester Mass, (laughs) the butt dumb virus, you know. That lonely little kid. If we have time. You got it. Uh, I well, really have no new stuff, no new updates about it, but we could make some up. You got, yeah, we can. <laughs> <laughs> That's the fun part of being media. <laughs> when I do my research, one of the, the YouTube channels that I find a lot is called whatculture.com. They seem to love wrestling and get behind everything, and, but they're very critical. They'll pick out the good. They'll pick out the bad. And the one video I watched, I wanted to touch on some topics with you, is their top 10 bad moments in WCW. Okay. And number 10, you were involved in. So I thought that's why this is kind of cool to start this list off. All right. Number 10 was bringing in RoboCop. Okay. Do you remember that angle at all? I know we talked a little bit before and it was kind of fuzzy. Yeah, I do remember it, but it was like I said, I don't, what I remember mostly is that they were so the RoboCop people were so um, paranoid about him doing anything, and the and the RoboCop was really small, so it wasn't that impressive looking. Uh, I just remember them really not being able to do much, and what they did come up with wasn't anything close to what we were hoping for, and it, it didn't really pan out. Tell me what happened. They uh, there was supposed to be a match, a, a tag match between your group and another group, but what happened is Sting came out, and they ended up throwing him into a cage on ringside. It wasn't even a steel cage match. It was just a cage. So RoboCop came out and ripped the door off the cage to free Sting. Okay, yeah. That was literally all RoboCop did. Right. Yet the pay-per-view was called The Return of RoboCop. <laughs> Return of RoboCop. <laughs> that, my, that's the only time I think my wife and my oldest son, Frank, went to a wrestling match because he wanted to see RoboCop. Yeah. So... What did you think about them bringing that in? Because like you said, obviously they, they had other plans but didn't pan out. You know, Rob, I'm always for um, cool stuff. You know, I know a lot of people, you know, WCW was considered the real wrestling of the two territories and only wrestling. So a lot of people were disappointed in that. I remember being disappointed in wrestling business over things I thought were not normal and then found out. The one I'm talking about is when Vince started trying to do television tapings in these bars. And it lasted, I think, one week, and it didn't go any farther. So I knew that wasn't going to. RoboCop, on the other hand, I liked that. I thought it was cool. When something's cool, you want to, you know, try to, 
try to put anything cool in something. If, if I'm a part of it, I'm going to put as many cool things in it. I can, you know, so I thought it was really cool to have Robocop on pay-per-view. They just should have used him a little better. Well, I don't think it was WCW's fault, Rob. I still remember this. It was he was so limited what he could do, and that's what I would be looking at. Is that a man in that suit, like literally in a wrestling show? What can he do? Right, it's it's tough. Man, yeah. Okay, well we'll get to number nine, and this this came from Starcade '99. Uh, I checked the card. You were on it. You were having a powerbomb match against Kevin Nash that night. But this one is called When Montreal Comes to Starcade. And basically, it was another screw job, but it looked like a work screw job between Bret Hart and Goldberg, where um, one, one announcement was made, then Piper came out and uh, took out the ref and made his own decision. And uh, they had Bret looking all confused, kind of like Montreal. Do you remember that one at all? No, I don't, man. I swear. Yeah. Uh, and I, I was, I'll be honest, it seems like I would rem- remember that one because um, Brett wasn't around that much. And a couple times I went to booking committees meetings, they were just knocking Brett the whole time. And I know Brett told me personally he wasn't enthused about being in the business anymore. So he was missing a lot of dates due to a concussion. So um, I don't remember that one. Um, and I'm, but now, Brett looked confused the whole whole time he was in WCW. <laughs> so it wasn't just that match? Yeah, it just wasn't just that match. <laughs> okay. Uh, number eight here is Hogan versus Warrior 2. Um, they were trying to build that back up, I know, because this would have, been, would have been their first meeting at a pay-per-view since WrestleMania. But during one of the shows, Warrior talked so much they had to completely rewrite uh, the show because they were running out of time. And then when they got to the pay-per-view, the actual match was, was horrible, I guess. David Meltzer um, gave it a negative five stars. Right. Do you remember anything about that? Because honestly, I, I, wasn't, I w- wasn't there Yeah. at that point. And I'm trying to remember. Uh, I did hear about that. You know, the thing is, Warrior was a horrible worker. Hogan was a so-so worker. So that made for a bad match, booking it, you know. And then this is what happens, Rob. You know, you can't say this for Vince. Vince took you know, someone like Warrior and Hogan took their strengths and built around them and didn't expose their weaknesses or their negative, uh, what they couldn't do. So WCW wasn't good at doing that. So that's a good example of that. And then also go back by Brett. You know, Brett was good if you held his hand and walked him through everything, but sort of left up to his own. He wasn't, you know, that he just couldn't initiate things sometimes. So, um, again, that's what happened there. I think, um, neither that they should have told Warrior, get out of that. Here's your interview. Don't go over that. I remember t- people talking about that interview sometime after that though. Yeah. Well, and see, that's a sign too, when it carries on that long in the locker room. Right. Okay. Number seven. And, and this, you might be able to testify to because, uh, this is about Russo. Um, well, not, not specifically Russo, but that period Russo liked off script stuff, but it had to be scripted off script to make it look like it was off script. Right. How many times during that period, though, did people actually go legit off script? No, Rob, I couldn't tell you. Um, that was such a confusing time. I mean, you know, they're trying to write everything for you. At that time, I just put myself on uh, cruise control, uh, just sort of showed up, did what they were asking me to. I was asked to do that. We talked about that before. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I was trying to do. And, of course, I was in one of the worst 
moments at WCW when they were asking me to do that interview, I mean, Goldberg against Kevin Nash and Scott Hall. Um, again, to what my understanding, the whole deal with Russo and Ed Ferrara were, they were trying to start a sitcom and, and look for um, using WCW sort of the experience deal where they show, look, I can take a cast of people and make this out of them and then try to get themselves on NBC or something big. You know what I mean? That was my understanding. That's what they were trying to do. Um, and th that's why they made so many confusing angles and made so many people outside their comfort zone and stuff like that. But um, that or what I've always thought, too, that they were sent there purposely to kill the territory. But I don't think that was the case either. I just think they weren't. Again, when you're not under Vince's thumb, Vince Russo wasn't that smart. Uh, as far as, he's still a smart guy, don't get me wrong, but he didn't have all the answers to things. He didn't know how to, you know, say, okay, uh, Bob and Ron and uh, Joe, I want you all to do this, and this is where I want you to be in two or three months from now. They, he couldn't do that because one, the boys didn't respect him, and all the stuff he's doing out, putting out there, nobody wanted to do. So it just, you know, made for a horrible recipe to, for bad TV. We talked a bit about that before, too, because it, when working with Vince uh, uh, McMahon, he had someone to bounce stuff off of and to polish stuff for him. Right. You know, but that... Well, they were actually... This is what, and I don't know this, Rob. I think this is for the majority of the stuff. Russo would give Vince stuff that he'd go, no, this is how we're going to do it, and this is how we're going to use it. You know what I mean? He, he didn't give Vince Russo ever the chance to go. I, Vince would, Russo would come up for me, uh, came up... I, ideas for interviews for me at one, one time and through the times that I was there. And if I didn't like them, I wouldn't use them. And sometimes I don't think I ever used a whole one, but I'd use a part of one sometime. So he never had that authority to go, Sid, you only say this, you know, like Vince did, you know, and that wasn't a big deal back then. People were still going by the cuff of their pants, you know, uh, for the most part of interviews. And uh, it wasn't like it is now. There are things, you know, written down on a piece of paper and you go by that. So it wasn't like that then. Gotcha. Well then this, this particular topic is the topic is Goldberg goes off script where uh, Scott Steiner, Kevin Nash were in the ring. Goldberg came out, supposed to have a match and Kevin Nash went to put him up for his finisher and Goldberg brushed out of it and didn't take the finisher and walked out. So they're saying Goldberg went completely off script then. And then they turned that into an angle as an off script angle. Are you, do you remember that storyline at all? I don't, um, I don't doubt it. This the thing is, is this. Now, I did see this, and I don't know if I was even there, uh, where Nash was working with Hogan, and I forget, one of the two pushed one of the oh. chests with their finger, and the other one took a bump, and the other one pinned him. This is the thing happened there for sure. They Neither one of those guys wanted to do a job, okay? Mm -hmm. And so to um, – make everybody happy that you come up with the stupidest thing they could come up with. And that's, again, that was, that was bad business. Yeah. Oh, we'll be touching on that one. Yeah. <laughs> I guarantee you we'll be touching on that one. Uh, number six was Hogan versus the dungeon of doom. And I, I couldn't find out the timeline when this actually happened. So I don't know if you were there or not, but they had Hogan taking on these people that eventually became known as the dungeon of doom led by Kevin Sullivan. And right. the, the final person that he had to fight to defeat them all, I guess, was called the final solution. And I uh, vaguely remember that storyline myself. So I don't, uh, I don't know when it was. I don't either. I, I must have been, in, I had to be in the WWF at that 
that time. Um, but no, I, I, that's that sounds typical. Uh, number five was Vince Russo becoming the WCW champion, being one of the baddest decisions they made. Your there, thoughts? <laughs> I'm like you, Rob. I'm, man, this is. I think you got the reason that WCW went out of business. These ten reasons. Um, but that is another bad business. Yeah, that's horrible. Because it kind of taints the title, really. Yeah, big time. Then, of course, we all know they put it on David Arquette, which I'm not. I don't hate that as bad as what I just heard there. Russo being the champ, you know. Well, and I, I did some research too because I never saw that match. I remember hearing about it, but I never watched that match. It was a steel cage match against Booker T. And what oh. it what ended up happening because Vince Russo, he's in there. He's got shoulder pads and a helmet on. He looks like a football player. What, yeah, I remember that now. Yeah. What happens is Goldberg comes in. And ends up spearing him through the cage. So therefore, Vince Rosso touched the outside of the cage first to become the world champion. Oh, okay. It, it's like this. I think this. Nobody. This that's could, horrible. Yeah, this is one of those things that needed a little polish before it actually hit television. Right. Oh, wow. That is. Well, of course. That's. Oh. Wow. Now, number four, I completely agree with, um, and it, they call it Sting's Revenge. And it was, uh, Sting was in the Horseman for a while. Uh, he got ejected rather violently from that group and kind of disappeared. When he came back, he was doing that crow persona where he was the white and black face paint. Right. Right. And for almost a year and a half, all he did was watch, you know, he watched right. from the rafters and he watched from here and there. And then when they brought him back, um, it was against Hogan, and what was supposed to happen, I guess, is Hogan was supposed to pin him, but the ref was supposed to be somewhat on the take and do it fast. And then Bret Hart was supposed to come out and say, no, 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 we're going to do this clean, and restarted the match, and Sting won. What ended up happening is the ref did a normal slow three count, and then Bret Hart came out. So it looked like they screwed over Hogan when they were trying to push Sting. That sounds like Hogan. <laughs> you know? And that's the thing, too, that's yeah. coming up now. And I think it's what put it on this list is the ref is going, um, there was a lot of audibles being called, you know, as to the actual finish. And the last one he received was from Hogan to do a regular count. So, oh, and that's, okay, one of the biggest complaints I know I've heard, and again, maybe you could attest to it, there was too many cooks in the kitchen during right. WCW at that point. Rob, this is the thing is, I'm not trying to point fingers, but every, everything you just mentioned, all the way back to the deal of Booker T and Vince Russo, instead of, say, Booker just putting him over like he should do it to get some real heat on that deal, you couldn't get anyone to do, the, do business. Like, you couldn't get Booker to do a job, uh, and that's what that was about. Same thing in Hogan. Hogan didn't want to do the clean finish for Sting, which he should have done to get, he was the heel and, and Sting was definitely the baby face. And he put that swerve in there to try to make Sting look bad. I'm assuming, you know, uh, everybody's been in the business this long, Rob, you don't do things like that to get to your objective. So all those things were just bad decisions because no one wanted to, like you just simply put it too many cooks in the kitchen. Well, and if you look at it too, um, I think that's why people like you and Tito and things that come out, that it, uh, it's not the passion for wrestling that you have. It's the business. 
too many right. too many people had the passion of wanting to be in the business to be that superstar that when you taint that superstar they take it personally no they do yeah so that and i i think that you can look at things too like that like that's why tito and you you know like you said you and vince didn't have the best relationship but vince knew if he brought you in it was going to work it's going to work right so no i like you rob i just god those are really good bad moments so far now the we're on the top three um the next two kind of happen simultaneously one we've we've touched on but this is where nash beats goldberg to end goldberg's streak they had had goldberg prompted you know he's doing promos and, and going through is undefeated he was like 163 to zero and then he came up against nash and Nash put him over with Scott Hall coming in with a cattle prod and zapping him. And that's how he, he defeated Goldberg. So it was kind of a cheap victory. Right. To end this, you know, 163 win streak. You know, uh, a lot of people feel that could have been done differently. But right. It should have been done. Well, this is the thing, is my opinion. When you got a streak going like that, you just don't, you don't put it on. I mean, unless Kevin says to, you know, every. Everyone, he was, the, you know, right there on top with all the, you know, no, being buddies with Eric and stuff. And he was actually booking that at one time. Um, you could look at someone that's going to say they're going to come and be the workhorse or someone new. You don't want to put someone who's been in there the whole time. And Kevin had already had his, his run as the NWO and all that stuff. And it was all coming down. And it was the steam was coming off of it. So ideally, what I would have done if I was in that position I would have done that with somebody that was coming in new that had a chance to, to get over. And that's what we need in the wrestling business. We don't want to keep uh, recycling things because it just, you know, once the people see you and they, they like, either like you really well one time or really dislike you one, a lot one time, I think you can keep your heat a little longer as you can keep it over as a baby face. I think once you start declining as a baby face, it goes really quick. As a heel, I think we can – we manifest things really fast. We can get people to dislike us pretty easy, mm-hmm. you know, um, but baby faces can't do that. Well, not only that, too, they, they always say you can tell the caliber of a hero by the villain they face. So if you can have that great bad guy, you are going to have a great baby face. Right. Oh, no, you're 100% right. Now, I think the part, this is number two, that makes that number three so bad. You know, they've ended Goldberg's streak, and now Nash is the champion. But then the very next night, and this is what we talked about earlier, the finger poke of doom, um, they had Kevin Nash come in who was supposed to face Goldberg, but they got him arrested. So now he's facing Hogan. Okay. And they get into the ring. Hogan does the little poke to the chest. Kevin takes a bump and Hogan pins him. So it almost makes the victory over Goldberg totally meaningless. Not totally. It does. Make it, I mean, you said sorta. It does make it totally mean, meaningless because that's the deal, is Rob. Again, that should have been put on someone who was going to say, "Okay, start out, you know, get a really good jump and go ahead on some things like that." Uh, again, it just seems like it was to appease Hogan's ego. And then Nash didn't really want to put him over and work hard in a match to, to put him over. That's why you shouldn't have let Nash be the one to stop the street. I said that earlier. Yeah, and almost, if you're going to do something like that, you have Hogan and Goldberg do the match where they screw him over, and you now right. have a feud. Right, yeah. because at least then, Hogan was sort of the 
in a weird way, the new deal because he was just had turned heel, right? Uh, he, he, this is when they, t- they announced to the world that the NWO had reformed. So he was coming off as a baby face. Okay, see, they should have hold, held that off and let him took that belt as a heel because, to me, then the chase is on. That would have been perfect timing. But again, this proves these guys being on top of their careers, on top of the business, they don't know how to make top decisions to make things work out right. Yeah. I mean, that sort of killed that whole thing, doing that before the switch, you know. Again, as a baby face, I would just put Hogan in as a novelty deal and then turn him heel, make him the champ and put the chase on with people and well, just keep him as a champ for a while. How many times have they had two baby faces go against each other, you know, just to test each other and things like that? You could easily have set up a Goldberg-Hogan match just for that reason and have him right. turn heel right in that match. That would have been good, too. That would, have, that would have cemented a heel move right there. Well, that would have started it. That would have been the greatest of all uh, scenarios. Mm-hmm. To have done it right in that match and have him, you know, somehow join the NWO right then, you know? Yeah. Because, yeah, you could have had Scott Hall come out and zap him with the cattle prod. Hogan could have feigned, you know, being upset and all that and then turned on Goldberg right then and there. Right, exactly. Jeez. Well... Now to number one, and we did talk about this one briefly too. Number one, worst move they say was Arquette becoming champion. You, I don't think it's the worst. I com- compared to some of the stuff. I agree with you. You know, I don't think it was the best because again, it tarnishes the title, and that belt had a lot of history. Now, really, at that point, Rob, the belt was not as meaningful uh, than it was, say, even two years before that. Um, cause this is, this is the same era that Vince Russo come in and made, uh, nothing, nothing against Booker T, but made him 15 time world champion. You know, that is just to me, that doesn't mean anything. It means you had to lose it 15 times. That means that by the time you had it only 15 times, it did not mean anything at all. Mm-hmm. So they sort of did that to that belt. So Arquette didn't hurt that belt at that point any worse than anyone else it had. Now, the nice thing I found out about it is even David Arquette has come out and talked about it, and he said he understands it was just publicity because of Ready to Rumble, you know, the movie they were working with. Any money that he had uh, generated during his title run or anything that came from it, he actually donated back to the families of Bobby Duncan Jr., Draws, and Owen Hart. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, I didn't know that until watching this video and doing some research. Like he donated all that money back to those families. Of Draws, Owen uh, Hart. And Bobby Duncan Jr. Now, Bobby oh, Duncan, Bobby. I'm not familiar with that name. He was with Kurt Henning. They were doing that. Um, he wrestled as Bobby Duncan Jr., but they were doing that rap as crap. Where they had a, like a country band. That okay. was where he was probably most. No, that's when he, he was. I, I remember him the most. I do remember him in... Um, Unfortunately, in the hotel in Phoenix uh, with Kurt and a lot of guys there, and he was just out of his mind, drugged up. Oh, no. And, yeah. And, yeah, and sadly, we've talked about that, too. Like, this this business kind of breeds that just for painkillers, so it happened more often than it should have. And it just, Rob, it wasn't painkillers. I think it was mostly people with somas. And I want to say, and this is just, I don't even like saying this, what I heard about Bobby was that he got some of these pain patches and put too many on and it just stopped his heart. 
And, so, and I don't know if that's true. Yeah. But again, I can see that because even if you look at the Nicorette and those patches, you know, people will put those on and then go to have a cigarette and they become violently ill because those patches are geared to give out certain dosages. Right. Exactly. So, you know, fact or not, I can see that being a possibility. No. Yeah. I just, um, man, I, I don't know. Um, yeah, but that's the last time I remember Bobby Duncan. But yeah, I thought that was amazing of David Arquette that he actually did that. He took the time to do that, knowing what his his role in that whole title change meant. You know, no, that was I'm I'm, I'm really again that got to take your head off to a guy that was nice enough to donate that to those people. Exactly. So now of that list, what do you think the worst moment? Even if it's not on the list, what do you think the worst moment in WCW history was? And again, we can do this with WWE and all that, but just since we're on WCW, what do you think one of the worst mistakes they've made could have been? Rob, I would, I don't know. I, I still think that one with Hogan and Nash, where he pushed him down. That to me was, this says a lot right there that everybody was lazy. Get out of uh, without having to work hard and, if you would have worked hard, that could have meant something. Um, but that's probably one of the laziest, disappointing days of the business, I think. I think you're right. Because even with the other stories, the other topics, you can see where their angle was trying to go. This one, right. yeah, there isn't. There isn't nothing there. Man. Well, thanks for going through this. Like I said, it's it's whatculture.com. These guys are crazy all about the wrestling, and uh, they've actually got different categories now. They have what culture music and what culture movies, and their what culture wrestling. They have amazing topics, and I found myself diving into rabbit holes watching their shows over and over and get completely distracted from whatever I'm researching. <laughs> well, the thing about why well, I like these questions, Rob, they were totally different. And um, it's not your normal, you know, wrestling question. So I like those kind of questions. Exactly. Well, we'll see if we can dig up some more stuff that they've done. But as for now, I think we are finally at our end. We should probably get to a question. All right, let's go to it. My time is yours. And now we have Chris on the line. Chris, where are you from? I'm from King George, Virginia. There we go. And what's your question for Sid? I want to know what he ever considered going back into the industry doing matches. Are you talking like independent matches? Yeah. Yeah, I tell you, I have. And um, I really enjoy those. And um, to me, it's like going back, doing the matches in the small territories and just give you an idea. Uh, last year, no, the year before, I got to do some shows with a company called uh, World Class, the guys who were taking over for the Barnett's kids there, Kevin Barnett's, and in Wichita, Kansas, it was really a great show that was, um, had a lot of people there. It was quite like you'd see, again, back in the small territories, and you see that in these independent shows, and I do really enjoy doing those. You know, I do a lot up in New York, and I'm fast up going to New York um, until the death of this week, this month, and so I do a couple of other signings up there. But to answer your question, yeah, I would still do some. I haven't done it in a while. I did a, um, we did a Capodosio in Arkansas. Oh, man, about two or three years ago. A lot of people who passed away in this area, a lot of these guys are never going to make it big. Um, I did a documentary, actually, Rob has seen it's called The Promotion, and it's about small town, small, you know, independent uh, shows. And we did a little deal there where some of the guys got to be inducted to the Hall of Fame. Some 
guys that passed away that did a little uh, memorial during Usher because like a, included them in a match, believe it or not. <clears throat> where the ghost of Osceola came out and you know, attacked me a couple times, which is a lot of fun to do. And that's what you get to do in these small, independent things to make up stuff like that and have fun. But yeah, I love doing them. I hope I can still do a few once in a while. But uh, yeah, if you're questions, yeah, I enjoy doing them and I want to try doing as long as I can. Excellent. Well, thanks a lot for the question, and uh, I guess that's it for our episode. You've been listening to the Vicious Circle Podcast. Your host, Sid Udi. Co-host, J. Robert Bellamy. Additional research by Pete Marsh. The Vicious Circle Podcast was produced by Two Cousin Road Trip Media, a division of JX3 Media Productions. The intro music, Omega Amigo, was by The Shaman. All rights to the podcast are held by Sid Udi.